Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I'm joined today by Lewis Malingus from Dominant Strands, and we talk all things custom strings. We talk about the benefit of custom strings. We talk about how to know when you need them, uh, how to know um, what kind of build you should go with. We talk about releases, how to learn releases, how to know which kind of release you should shoot. It's a good conversation. We hear some stories of some giant deer hitting the ground, too, and some fun stories about his brother. Um <laughs> His brother running into some wounded deer. It, it's a fun episode. It's a good episode. It's an informative episode. Guys, I hope you enjoy it. As always, this episode is brought to you and presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows. And I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow. I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow. But what really sets deer crossing archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone, I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone and they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of the setup. I'm going to tell him total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert, outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC, and he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer Crossing Archery builds those arrows custom for you, and they always perform. Their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet Earth. I've shot 40-plus animals with that arrow. It always performs. It always blows through the animal. I always get great penetration. It's a micro-diameter shaft. They do have a full line of shafts. Uh, the new Rupture Arrow is a phenomenal arrow. I shot a deer with it this year in Missouri. I love their arrows. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check out Deer Crossing Archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory. You can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup. Guys, use code HUNTING101 to get a discount at Deer Crossing Archery. I would highly encourage you to check them out. They are phenomenal. Did you, uh, did you guys get hit with the snowstorm? We did. We got a couple inches on the ground. How'd that... Uh, what'd that do for your deer? Well, actually, um, I haven't had the ability to go the last day or two while the snow's on the ground yet. And then somebody wanted to chat, so that's probably ruining this afternoon. <laughs> no, we'll be done. You can get done. Go hunt. I got strings to build. Well, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> well, you know. Don't be so busy. Won't... Well, <laughs> because I'm busy. <laughs> 
Lewis, what's going How's on? How's life, man? Life has been pretty good actually the last few weeks. So yeah, starting to starting to slow down a little bit. It's that time of year where everybody's uh, starting to get hunting, so I don't have quite so much work to do. But yeah, yeah, that's how it goes, man. People think like, oh, you get to work in the hunting industry. All you get to do is hunt. Like, Wrong. no, unfortunately, that's usually when I have to work more because everybody else wants to go hunting. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, while everybody else wants to go hunt, I get to work. So yeah. yeah, that's that's unfortunately it. Now, for those who don't know you, give us an introduction to yourself, man. Dominant strands, kind of how you got started, kind of how you got to where you're at. Well, um, I got lucky enough to grow up in the heart of whitetail country and uh, grow up kind of in the industry around the industry. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up around a family that uh, was involved in the industry. Um, my grandpa grew, uh, was around here selling and uh, doing archery stuff out of his basement house. And uh, him and my grandma um, shot and uh, competed in uh, tournaments around the area and uh, shot with the likes of Pete Shepley and uh, those guys um, when they were here in Illinois. And then uh, my dad and his uh, friend started a shop and had a shop here locally uh, when I was a kid. And then uh, I grew up around them and uh, tinkering in their shop and learning the trade. And uh, then my dad got to be really good friends with a gentleman who uh, was one of the first employees that uh, PSE had by the name of George Chapman. And uh, that led to uh, him uh, being one of the co-owners uh, of that gentleman's business, which is the Chapman Archery School. And uh, when George passed away, him and Steve Fanzile, my dad and Monty, uh, run that school. And uh, Steve uh, still actively teaches that school to this day. and. Uh, so through all of that, um, I was lucky enough to shoot and be around the industry growing up as a kid and uh, learn the ins and outs and get told, stay out of the industry or you won't be able to hunt. And yeah, so I kept coming back to it. Uh, I went off to the military and uh, spent uh, 12 years uh, working and doing that. And uh, then I medically retired. And came home and uh, worked on the family farm and uh, helped uh, other local farmers. And I kept finding myself back in and, and around the industry. And uh, sure enough, here we go. And uh, in a conversation with some friends and, and whatnot, led to me being back here, building bowstrings, tinkering in a shop. And I said, man, I must be crazy. They said, well, you're not crazy. This is just what you do. It's, it's in your DNA. It's in your blood. And uh, Dominus Trans was born through part of that and in conjunction with some other friends and uh, through other bits and pieces, trials and tribulations. It wound up uh, being me and another couple friends and I bought them out and uh, now it's just me. And uh, then I've got some guys that help and work in the shop with me and I'm the sole owner. But here we are. And uh, we now have Dominus Strands custom bow strings and hashtag it's in your DNA. So this is where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, man. And we have, you know, I've been wanting to have you on for 
quite some time. We just have so much shared love. Uh, you know, we, we have, we have a built love around bear and around custom bowstrings and around deer crossing archery and hot shot releases. You know, there's just all these things yep. that were, um, you know, these things that I love, uh, you also have a love for. And so been wanting to have you on for a long time. And, uh, so I'm glad we're finally knocking that out. So, uh, one thing I do want to dive into is just kind of the, um, not misconception, um, the misunderstanding that once you get a bow, you're ready to shoot. Now, uh, I, I will say this custom strings are one of those things that I will always be a proponent of. I, I pretty much always, the moment I get a bow, put new strings on it. Um, however, I also want to go down as being quoted, you know, if you listen to last week's episode, then we talked largely about how there's a lot of things you don't have to have to go hunting. You don't have to have new strings to go hunting. Your bow is True. going to perform Major. and work just, just fine with the strings that come on it. However, by upgrading your strings, um, it's something that you can do to increase, and, and I don't know a percentage, but to increase the performance of your bow by a substantial amount without a large investment, especially with stick bows. I mean, the moment you get a stick bow, we're talking 25 bucks, 30 bucks for the best string you can buy. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, your bow is going to perform way better. Right. It's going to be quieter. It's going to be faster. Strings going to last longer. It won't stretch. Why wouldn't you do that? You're going to increase the, the, the performance of that bow substantially by a super small investment. So what are your, why do you tell people yay or nay on new strings? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, you are correct. that The strings that are on your bow from the factory, more often than not, are going to do you just fine. You can go hunting with them and you will be perfectly capable of going out and, and killing the animals you're after. However, you can get better performance more uh, a lot of consistent the time performance, consistent performance. Exactly. Because many times in a lot of factory settings, and I got to preface this because I am a staff shooter for bear. Um, I've shot for other companies as well. Um, many times in a factory setting, those strings are getting made in a, in such a, a mass quantity that you lose some of that precision in the fact that they're not looking for that finite detail that 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 exact what your specification is so a custom builder can do that one little thing that can make that string especially with a stick bow like you're talking about I can take and do that one thing with your stick bow that can that can make it work for you. Um, like, let's take my dad, for instance. Um, my dad found in the 90s, especially when they started to change um, from that 60, 70 percent let off world into some of these really high let off bows. And he shot a, a, a hinge style release that all of a sudden he started throwing the release and he was just launching it. And 
um, we actually witnessed him throw it across the shop and we're like, what is going on with him? And couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And ended up what we figured out was that the high percentage let off bow that he had just jumped to that 75 to 80 percent let off was actually what caused the problem. And that change in let off affected his shot. And because of that, his hand and the relaxed way he shot, he didn't have enough back tension and his release. And it was actually causing him to throw the release and it was messing with his shot. He didn't have the back tension that he needed in the way he felt the bow. And so when we changed his holding weight by adding pounds to the front end of the bow, then he actually was fine. Well, he didn't really want to draw an extra four pounds to get that. Well, back then we didn't really have a way to change that. Today we do. I can actually change his holding weight without changing his draw weight by changing the way I build his strings. So I can change his strings enough that by changing his cables, a couple strands or changing the diameter of his cable with the dimension that I build his uh, strands in his the diameter that I use at serving, I can actually change his holding weight a little bit. And by doing that, I change his percentage in the way it rests in the track. And when I do that, it doesn't sit in the valley the same. And it's an engineering thing. And when I do that, it changes the way that cam rolls, that changes the valley, that changes the holding weight. And he's not actually holding 80%. He's holding, say, 78% let off. And that changes his holding weight. So a good custom builder, a true custom builder that knows what they're doing, the, they can actually do things like that for you. And that's the difference between a custom string and a factory built string. Factory built string is going to be built to the factory spec, the engineering spec from the factory. Now, most people aren't looking for that. Um, and in that regard, just a general average custom string, then you're looking at just standard overall performance, things like uh, peep rotation and stuff like that. And a lot of that goes down to just the the quality, the precision of the build, the fact that it's going through one set of hands, um, being pre-stressed and cycled, pre-stretched. You'll hear a lot of those different terms depending on the builder. Um, different builders use different terms, but it all pretty much means the same kind of thing. They're um, doing things to take some of that initial creep out of the, the materials so that when it goes on your bow, it's set and you don't have that break-in period that you see but that actually causes a um, causes the those things little things that we do when we build the string causes that string to be more consistent overall through the life of the string and those attention to those minor details a lot of times in a factory setting um, just they don't have that. Um, it's nothing against the factories. It's just the way that they're building to that. Um, mass quantity um, and just a lot of times that stuff gets overlooked or it doesn't happen on the same level that a custom builder can do um so that brings just up a, 
that brings up an interesting question for me on bows that have adjustable let off. Let's say they persist. Would you build strings differently if you know a guy's going to be shooting it at 90 versus 70 or 85? Do you, do you build the string different at all? Um, yes and no. Um, not so much that I build it differently, but I may tell that person um, different things about, hey, this is how this string is going to react to what you're doing. Um, partially because, you know, at 90% let off, there's so little tension on the string at full draw that that string is going to react differently in how that peep is going to sit than when you have it at 75% let off. Um, no matter how that string is built, no matter who builds it, at 90% let off, there is so little tension in that string that every little thing um, that you do as a person with your hand, your release and stuff is going to affect that peep um, and the rotation that it might or might not show. So little things that you do are going to show um, way more than at 75% because there's so much more tension in the string. So uh, I'm going to knowingly treat that person a little different as far as when they call and say, Hey, I'm having this issue or I'm having that issue. Knowing that you have 90% let off on your bow um, is going to lead me down the road a little different as far as how I'm going to approach an issue that you may or may not have with that bow. So will a, based off everything you just said for the guy who just bought the new bow and they're setting it up, you know, maybe it's a persist, maybe it's a whitetail max, whatever it might be. What do you encourage them? I mean, obviously it comes down to personal preference, but is a bow going to perform better at any specific let off? Um, I don't know that I would say it will perform specifically better. Um, a lot of times that has to do with the shooter. Uh, me personally, I don't prefer the high, high let off. And that's because um, coming more from a target world as a, as a kid, um, I like that um, holding weight, kind of like my dad, the story of telling about him, um, that holding weight for me is a thing. Um, it's just like a, a bull barrel on a, on a rifle shoot for guys that shoot long distance rifle shooting. Um, having that holding weight uh, actually makes you a uh, steadier shot, gives your body something to, to fight against that muscle. Um, rather than when you have nothing there to pull against or to draw against, you actually um, are not as steady. So um, personally, I prefer to have a little more holding weight. Um, I'm going to be more steady, um, but that's more of a personal thing than, than anything for a lot of people. Yeah. I think, you know, once, once these let offs started going higher up, it takes some real getting used to because that first time you shoot at 80, oh, yeah. that first time you shoot 80, much less 90%, it doesn't feel natural at all. And um, it's no. because you know, for me, what I've learned is with those super high let offs, I find myself just relaxing too much in the shot and not pulling through my shot, much like you just talked about. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't yeah. just pull through my shot real clean. I just kind of relax too much and, and, and I get more lax in my shooting. Um, but again, that's something that, you know, once you get used to, and once you learn that you pull through the back wall anyways. So right. if you're going to pull through the back wall, 
does it really matter if it's 90 versus 75? You know what I mean? No, because you're going to be pulling through the back wall either way. Now, the, the difference is, and, and where this really plays a difference is, you know, if you're going on an elk hunt or something and you might have to hold it full draw for two minutes, you know, a minute and 30 seconds, minute and 40 seconds because the way the elk's coming in or, or yep. for whatever reason, you know, then you can get more relaxed in your shot without having to let it down. But then you have to make the conscious choice of like, okay, now I have to start pulling through my back wall again. I've been relaxed just holding it here, but now I have to really pull through the back wall and, and execute a shot well. And there just has to be that learning. You know, there has to be that that messing with your equipment. And that's why, you know, I and we this was kind of a topic of discussion last week. There is no substitute for just learning your equipment. There's Absolutely. no substitute for just spending time with that bow, spending time with how that bow likes to be shot and learning what that bow likes. There's no substitute for that. Do you prefer or change anything on let off if you're shooting uh, or if somebody's shooting a index release, a thumb release, hinge release? Does any of that kind of play into a, a setup of a bow and where you might like that that let off? Um, yes and no. Um, if the, the for me, that goes back kind of to the personal preference thing. Um, me personally, yes, with my hinge release, I want, um, more, uh, I want more holding weight because I need that back, that pull through. But yeah, if, when I go to, to hunt, I don't need near as much. I can drop that to, you know, I can go shoot that 80, 85 and I know that I got to pull back through it and I can relax a little bit if I got to hold, um, hold that weight for a little longer if that deer uh, elk whatever you know hesitates for a second before it steps on out you know when i draw behind a tree or something like that um i can hold it a little longer but um like you said it takes time to learn um not only the bow but it also you need to learn what makes you comfortable you know are you comfortable holding that yeah. for that length of time shoot it yourself and and find what fits best for you and the bow both you know, if you're not comfortable with it, then that's not okay either. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why, you know, again, there's just no substitute for it. And, and that was, you know, largely part of last week's topic of discussion was everybody wants to upgrade. Everybody wants to try new and better and bigger, more fancy equipment, yep. but there's no substitute for just getting a bow or a release or a sight and just learning everything there is to know about that piece of equipment, you know, and if you have a sight, or a bow that's five years older, but you can shoot that bow really well because you know that bow, don't change it. Guys, I oftentimes say that I always have a binocular harness on my chest. What good is a binocular harness without a good set of binoculars? I am a sucker for fine Japanese glass. I love good optics. I love spending time behind it. Um, it's just fun. It's fun to go out and look at stuff, um, but also... Good optics make spotting and looking through them a whole lot more enjoyable. Koa Optics does it and does it better than anyone else, in my opinion. They have some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. It's all I've used for the past, I don't know, eight years or so. This right here, the Koa 55, is one of the best products ever made in the history of the universe. It is the smallest, most compact scope you can get, but it still offers phenomenal glass. It's really hard to find a, 
a spotter that is this small, this light, this compact. You can throw it in your backpack. You can leave it in your truck. It's so small and so compact, but it still offers phenomenal glass. This is one of my favorite products ever. Guys, if you're in the market for new optics, I would highly encourage you to check out Koa Optics because they are, in my opinion, the best glass that you can buy. Go check them out. I, I want to jump into a little bit because I asked you about releases and how that changes let off. Mm -hmm. What do you tell people if somebody were to just call you and say, hey, what kind of release, not brand wise, but what kind of release should I start learning to shoot? Index, thumb, hinge. Maybe I've been an index shooter and I'm ready to try something new. How do you wade through all those waters, man? Like there's a lot there to unpack, but like, <laughs> yeah, get, give the listener some advice on releases and how to choose one, how to find wow. one, how to know what works well, what doesn't. And that's a, that is a, oof, that's a deep, dark <laughs> cave of, oh, um, I mean, that's, you could, I don't even know where to begin with that one. I mean, you can always do the tried and true. I mean, index releases have been around for forever, but then again, thumb buttons have too, and, you know, hinges and, um, there's a lot of different brands and a lot of different types. And, um, you just got to kind of try and find a little bit of what works for you. And, uh, there's different theories and different ways to shoot different ones. You know, um, some guys like to shoot their thumb button as a trigger kind of, you know, they push the button. Some guys shoot it more like a back tension hinge style, you know, where they get it anchored in and then, you know, kind of rock their hand into it. And, you know, you just got to try a little bit of everything, but whatever you do, my one advice would be pick something and then you need to shoot it for at least three months. Don't switch back and forth. Whatever you're going to shoot, pick it and shoot it for at least three months dedicate to that discipline and that discipline alone, that release. Because if you're switching back and forth between several things until you've shot, like I switch back and forth, but I've shot those disciplines for years. I've got them down to switch back and forth for me is no big deal. But if you're learning a new discipline and you're switching back and forth, you're never going to get it down. You're never going to get used to it you're going to develop bad habits. You're going to hate it, fight it, whatever. Um, get that, get it down, learn it, and then make up your mind whether that's one you're going to shoot. Um, so how does somebody even thing. know, what do, what are you looking for when you, well, first off, I, let me take one step back. If somebody's just starting, especially if they have any kind of background with a gun, um, then I, then I'm going to start with a hinge with an I'm, index, with a, with an index because yeah. that's normal for them. You know, they're used to filling that trigger yeah, in absolutely. the index finger. Um, so that's what I'm going to start them with. But do you have any kind of, of any kind of direction to go as far as like, okay, if you pick up a release and it just, what are you looking for to know? Oh, that's a good release. Um, or that's garbage. Like as far as the way it functions, the way it works, how smooth it is, how quiet it is. What are you looking for to know that's a good release? 
just what feels good to you. I mean, that would be the thing. I mean, pick them up. Um, they make a lot of testers out there, firing lines or whatever. Shoot a little bit, you know, of those. Kind of put them in your hand and and pull the trigger and and play with them. Um, find one that you think feels good in your hand, feels good in the way the trigger mechanism works, smooth, and then shoot it and shoot it for a while and and then decide if you you know like that and that's what you're going to stick with. Um, then if you want to try something else, try it. But um, that would be my my big suggestion. Um, but yeah, um, usually with a, a new shooter, most often or, or not, it's somebody you see, they're going to pick the cheapest thing usually because it's they're getting started and they're not looking to spend a lot of money. Um, yeah. So they usually find the cheapest thing they can find and then well, go from there. That's another... That's another topic of discussion because in my opinion, you can get, you can get better. You can get higher quality index finger releases at a budget price over a hinge, you know, a, a hinge, oh, yeah. they start off more expensive. Um, and so for the person just starting out, you know, it's really easy to swallow to say, Hey, we can get you a really good, really good release for a hundred bucks. Um, you know, we can get your release. It's going to perform really, really well for a hundred bucks rather than, okay, if you, if you want to go with a hinge, then we have to drop two twenty to get a decent one, you know? Yep. Um, and so that's another topic of discussion, but I did see a, a post and it really made me think, you know, we both have a love for, for hotshot. Um, and really that didn't come down to price point that came down to, I picked up a Tempest years ago and I loved the way it shot. I just loved that release. It was super smooth. The trigger was crisp. It was clean. I loved the way it broke. I just loved that release. But, and it really wasn't until yesterday I saw a post about somebody. Uh, what was Mike's Archery? And they were talking about Hot Shot. And they were just talking about how how good that release is for the price that you get them at. Um, and so that's right. what I would encourage people to do is like, you know, to, a release isn't something that you have to to go to the extreme on budget to get a good release. Um, you can get really good releases. Um, you know, hot shot, every release from hot shot is a great release. Um, trophy Ridge makes good releases without breaking the bank. There are good Absolutely. releases out there that you can buy without having to spend a bunch of money on. Um, and, and every, again, every release I've ever shot from hot shot performs really well. Every release I've ever shot from trophy Ridge performs really well. Um, I personally shoot a hot shot. I don't shoot a trophy Ridge, but, um, they just perform really well and you don't have to break the bank. So I would encourage you. Releases are really one of those things. You know, people talk about go to a bow shop and try out the bows and figure out what works for you. Releases are the same deal. Like you can't right. just pick a release off the Internet and say, that's the one I want. Um, even reviews aren't going to help you out a lot because there right. are some releases out there that are highly reviewed. In your hand. Exactly. You got to fill them. You got to try them. You got to see if it fits your hand well. You got to see if it if you like the way it breaks at the shot. You you have to fill those releases. So I would just encourage you, go to a shop. Go to a, a shop that sells a lot of releases. You know they have the the trigger releases that you can just try on a little rope, and you don't have to shoot bows. Um, and you can just fill that release. You can see how they feel in your hand, how they fit in your hand. Um, you know, there's been releases out there that are highly you know reviewed really good. And I get it, and then it just doesn't. I, you know, if I'm shooting an index, I like it really short because I like to really wrap my finger around that. 
And then you get the release and you're like, man, I love the way the trigger is, but it, it, I can't get it short enough for me. I don't, I, I can't, you know, I can't get right. it to fit well for me. So go to a shop, try out all the different releases, figure out what feels best in your hand and shoot that. We talked about even you and I the other night about um, the, the thumb buttons. And we talked about how you not feeling comfortable with it in your hand and not having anything around your wrist versus me being so relaxed. And I sent you the video of me and I barely got my, I barely got my fingers on it. And my hands just almost falling asleep back here. And you're like, yeah, I can't do that. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd be a I'd throw it or whatever. And I'm like, no, my hands just barely on a tonk and it just, you know, I don't even hardly have a hold of it. And, and that's you know, one thing, you know, if you're making the switch from a, a, a index finger, to a thumb, uh, you know, several companies make it, but Hotshot has the release that, you know, yep. you still strap to your wrist. Um, so you can have that security and like all the weights on my wrist. And then I'm just holding the release real lightly in my fingers. Right. But all of the actual weight is on my wrist, just like an index release. Um, so you, you can have that. that. So, yeah. So you can feel that. And then, you know, I've done that before too, where I've worked with a release like that to where all the weight is is in and, and what Louis, uh, Lewis is referring to there is I will just death grip a, a, a handheld. Like I'll just wrap it and hold it really tight just because it's just bad. It, it's bad. That, that is bad. You want to have a release, a, 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 a loose grip on that. Yeah. Um, but use one of those that have a, a strap on the wrist. That way you can really, you know, just hold, hold the weight of the bow with your wrist strap and then rest that release in your fingers. Get used to that and then cut the strap off and use the release without a strap on it. I don't ever mind having a wrist strap on, though. You don't like stuff around your wrist. I like stuff around my yep. wrist. Um, I like my release right there. That way, it's always there. You know, I don't have to worry about, oh, man, I dropped it, or, oh, man, it fell fell off, or whatever, whatever. It's on my wrist to each his own. Yep. I'm a hands-free kind of person i like having my hands free and being able to you know my release is hanging there on my bow but i can get my hands in my i don't like having gloves on so i like having my hands free and able to put them in my pockets where i can keep them warm and then i'm i'm i know where my release is that animal's coming i can keep my eye on the animal get my hand on the bow i never have to look at my bow or my release, I know exactly where it's at, hands on, but I can watch that animal the entire time. If that animal looks at looks in my general direction, I stop, but I'm not having to look down to get hooked onto my D loop or anything like that. I'm always eyes on the animal and I like that ability. And so that's why I like shooting that way. Funny story about the Tempest, right? When I bought it, I was a young married guy right out of college. So hundred bucks was a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I remember telling my wife, like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I need to buy this. I, I, I need a new release. Um, and, and I'm going to spend the money and I, I still don't like to spend money, but, um, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm sorry, but we won't have dessert for the next couple of nights and pay for it, whatever. And so I buy that release. And the first time I ever took it hunting, I hooked it on my D loop and I went out to the woods and, uh, I get to my tree and the release is gone. And I was like, first thought that went through my head was crap. That was a hundred bucks. Second thought that went through my head was crap. Chris is going to kill me. Second, third thought that went through my head was how do I shoot a deer if it comes in? Like, I don't have a release at all. And so 
I had just walked in like a mile through a bean field and I'm like, there's no, never going to find this release. <laughs> and so I climb out of my tree. Good thing I got there early enough. Um, so I climb out of my tree and I just start walking the, the path that I thought I walked, you know, going through a bean field. I, I was hoping I was on the right trail and I went like 110 yards in the bean field and it was laying right there. I'm like, what are the chances of that? And so I get the release, run back to the tree and hunt. But like, it was a lucky find, man. I was just like, <laughs> I, I was blown away that I found it much less that close. You know, it could have been a mile away right out of the truck. Um, but it happened to be a hundred yards in the bean field and I happened <laughs> to just walk on it. So lucky find. So I, I've always got two, one in my pocket and one in my bag. So if I, once I hook one on the bow, when I get in the tree stand or whatever, uh, one in my pocket, like when I'm walking in, if I could shoot when I'm going in, it's in my pocket so I can get it out on the bow real quick if I need to. Um, the other one's in the backpack for a backup. Um, but I always have two with me when I'm hunting. And then, um, I just in case, and then, uh, I, but I'm never anywhere without hunting without at least two of them. And then, um, the other is that, uh, you would be surprised how many times I've had to go back with a metal detector <laughs> looking for, for a release that, uh, man, I'm yeah, I I've got a, an old trusty one that is actually, uh, has been retired at this point, but I have more than once have had to go find that sucker with a, with a metal detector because I <laughs> dear Lord, I'm not losing that release. That's my baby. That, probably have almost means as much to me as my firstborn child. And I'm back on my hands and knees digging in the grass, looking for it in a pasture because I got to have that release. And yeah, but um, no, I get See, it. I've got and, tabs. I've got tabs like that. Like <laughs> I, I don't know why, but cause tabs aren't expensive. You can get a, like a Bateman for like, you know, 25 bucks. Yep. But once it's broken in, like just to that, just, sweet spot of oh, just like oh it's the best spot. tab ever like i'll do anything to not lose that tab and like i remember one time like um i go out to grab my bow and the tab was gone and i was like where the heck is my tab and so i'm like freaking out i'm like where is that tab and uh my wife was like there's four on the wall right there and i'm like um yeah but those aren't my tab like i need that tab <laughs> And uh, I find it like my son had been playing with it. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you understand this. Like, I'll choose that tab over you. Like, when it comes <laughs> down to it, bro, that tab, like, you don't mess with that tab. <laughs> but it's funny, man. We just yep. get, you know, and it, again, it goes back to just like having that equipment that you are confident in, that you know, man, I that that tab, dude, it's broken in how, right how I like it. That release, man, it just... There's just something about that release, man. It just, it works every time. I know the ins and outs of it. I know what it likes, what it doesn't like, man. There's just something about that dude. And there's no substitute for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got a, we had this farm that we hunted when I was a kid, we actually had a tree stand that was kind of that way that no matter what kind of season we were having good, bad, indifferent, um, we kind of called it the trophy stand. It was just that stand. Um, I actually killed my first Pope and young buck. Um, my second Pope and young buck out of that stand, um, both with my bow. Um, 
you, no matter what kind of year you were having, you went to that stand, you were killing a buck and a big one. And uh, for us here where I live, that means you're, I'm talking at least 140 inch or bigger uh, mature whitetail. And uh, so you're, you're going to that stand, that's what's happening. And uh, that just, but when we lost that property, it was almost like crying, taking that stand down because we couldn't hunt that property anymore. And you're like crying tears and oh, I can never hunt this again. And yeah, because, you know, you're just like, what do I do now? But yeah, yeah I get it. That's the old so, killing tree is what they call yeah, that. that. That was That's exactly what it was. I can remember. I'll never forget that hunt, man, being in that, sitting in that tree. And uh, I remember it was foggy morning. Like it was just that perfect frost, that first frost and it was dewy and the fog was just coming off and you couldn't see more than about 20 yards, just as just about you could shoot that far, but that was all you could see. And um, I could hear him grunting just as he was walking and you're like, Oh yeah. And you could just tell it was mature. And I'm like, and it was one of those things where like I had shot deer, but not anything like that. But I knew it was a mature buck and you're like, Oh, and you're shaking and you know, it's coming. And then all of a sudden out of the, out of the fog comes the, the rack and that's all you could see. And you're like, Oh, and then there he is. <laughs> and you shoot and the arrow goes and then he jumps and he runs up and he stands on the cricket, just a little different angle. And you could see the way the arrows in him. And you're like, Oh no, that doesn't look right. And then you're scared because you're like, oh, I shot back and it doesn't look right. Oh no, and it's wrong. And this has all gone horrible. You know, I can remember getting out of the tree and calling my dad at he was at work and calling him and freaking out, going, you know, I, I shot and it's back and it's horrible. It's all gone wrong. And I'm, you know, panicking. And he's like, I'm I'm leaving work. I'm coming. And, you know, then come to find out, you know, that. I made the perfect shot. It was the right angle, you know, for the angle he was standing when I shot, it was great. It was right behind the ribs at a really hard quartered away angle. The, the arrow went right up behind the ribs, went right up, clipped the right lung, clipped the heart, clipped the left lung, and then buried just forward of the left shoulder and stopped. And the fletching was sticking out just behind his rib cage. But when he squared up to me, when he stopped, after he'd run a little ways after he'd shot, you know, then he squared to me. Well, then the arrow looked like it was way back. And, you know, then I'm freaking out. And, heck, he didn't go 40 yards from where I shot him, and he was done. And so, you know, Dad and I found Angles him in no time flat. Man. Oh, yeah. And Dad's going, you, you know, Dad finds him first, and Dad's like, you made the perfect shot. Way to go. He's all happy and proud. And, you know, it works out great. But, yeah. I'll never forget that place. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. Of course, in the other one is was with my brother. And of course he's gone now. So that makes that memory even better. It was, I was the very next year and I'd had a horrible year, hadn't seen nothing. And I, I'm going to that stand. I got to change my luck. So I go down to that stand, get in and I'd done some dough bleating, estrus bleats with the can and here comes this buck out of out of the pasture out of nowhere following the creek and he turns and he comes around i can't get him to stop and so i try to lead him a little bit and i didn't lead him enough shot 
And that one I did hit back and I knew it. And of course they always went down the hill into the creek. Well, this one goes up the yeah. hill and I'm like, perfect. He went up, he goes up and he lays down and I'm watching him at the top of the hill and he's bedded. Well, I, of course, cell phones were at least a thing by this point. And I'm texting my brother and he's in a stand on the other side of the hill. And I'm like, Hey, I just arrowed one, but it's, you know, gut shot. It's back, but he's laid down top of the hill. He's like, I'm coming. I'm like, no, don't come. Like you come over the hill. He's going to get up. Like, let him lay down. Well, he's like, Oh, I'll wait a minute. Well, his wait a minute was like 10 minutes and out of the tree stand he gets. And here he comes. And I can see him coming over the hill. I'm like, Oh man, stop. And he comes over the hill. And of course, at this point, my brother hadn't shot anything that big. And this buck stands up and he's like 160 inch deer, nine point with big, tall tines on one side, just way overside the other side. He stands up when he comes over the hill, he spooks him and he stands up and my, I can see my brother's eyes get huge. He's like, oh, and he draws his bow. Of course, the deer's between me and him. And I'm like, don't shoot, don't shoot, because the arrow's going to come my direction. And he doesn't shoot. The deer takes off. And, of course, now he goes down the hill towards me, runs underneath of me, and jumps the fence onto the neighbor. And I'm like, oh, we're going to lose this deer now because he got up. And if he just left him alone, he'd have laid there. We end up finding him and it all worked out. But I can just remember my brother coming down the hill and going with his arms outstretched over his head. You know, this is the biggest deer I've ever seen. Oh, my Lord. You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, now we're not going to find it. But it worked out. We found it. We got him drug out. And of course, I was really hoping you were going to tell me that your brother shot it. And then it becomes the argument of like, no, dude, you were the deer. deer. I killed the oh, deer. No. This is my deer, dude. There'd have been no argument. <laughs> I'd have beat him senseless. It was my deer. <laughs> my deer. <laughs> no. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, Lewis, I appreciate you coming on, man. Guys, where can they find Dominus Strands at? How do they get a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? Well, obviously on Facebook, Instagram, Dominant Strands. Um, the website is uh, dominant-strands.com. Um, and always call the shop. Um, phone number is on the website. It's on Facebook, but it's uh, you can always holler in here. And um, I'm glad to talk to anybody, answer questions. Um, even if you're not buying a strain, man, holler. I'll gladly talk you through whatever and, and help you out. We'll gladly uh, do what we can to help walk you through whatever issue you got. So, Guys, the best bow strings you can buy. I uh, am thoroughly impressed with all the strings I have from him. I just commissioned him to build me a set of strings for uh, the Prince, which is my persist. Uh, it's fresh Prince of Bel Air theme. So it's got super flashy strings, um, all different neon colors. I'm doing the arrow build for that right now. Actually, uh, I landed on a rupture from deer crossing archery with a hundred grains uh, in the outsert and hundred grains in the broadhead for five ten total. Um, now I got to flush them up all flashy to, to match the string. So um, I am incredibly impressed with dominant strands, but guys, if you are in need of new strings after the season, I would highly, highly encourage you to check out Lewis and the, and the crew at dominant strands because they will build you a phenomenal set of strings. Guys, I know, I know, uh, cheap, interchangeable blade knives, they're all in the rage. Change your blade right there, and you can keep going, and it, it's cool, and I have one in my bag, and I like to keep one in my bag. However, there is no replacement for a well-built, hand-forged 
knife, something that I know is dependable. It's strong. If I pick it up, it's going to be sharp. It's going to be ready to go. Um, these right here are knives built by my good friend, Nick Deeker, Nick's Knife Works. And um, the most beautiful part of this is it's not cut and dry. You don't just pick out a knife and say, well, I guess that's the one I need. No, 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 no. He built this one specifically to the length that I wanted it. I wanted this to fit right on the side of my binocular harness so it was always there, always ready for me to grab. He built this one to fit really small in my pocket uh, for an everyday carry. Guys, a good hand-forged knife is worth its weight in gold. Go check out Nick Deeker at nicksknifeworks.com. Guys, thank you for listening. Y'all have a fantastic week.